The most important thing, I think, in life is to get to know who God really is and uh, grab a hold of Jesus as tight as you can and go follow after him and do what God has called you to do and live. Um, I mean, you represent Jesus in your world, and every one of us have a different life. We have a different influence. We have different people that we come in contact with throughout the average week that you represent Jesus Christ, and so it would be good to get to know him and go, this is how I'm supposed to live my life. What he's commanded of me is how I'm supposed to live my life. And the the times where I step back from what God wants me to, I step out of not his love, but I step out of his his uh the 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 life that he's called me to. And so it is why, in the first place, I wanted to go through the book of Mark. For one, I've always loved the book of Mark. For two, I've always wanted to go through the book of Mark. And the book of Mark was the first book of the Bible that I read from the beginning of the story to the end of that book. And I loved, I loved it. I, I loved the, 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 you say, I might say brief, but it might not seem like it after we're done with this series. But, uh, it, it's 16 chapters and there's a lot in there. And so we've been talking specifically about spiritual blindness the last few weeks. And so that's, it's that that portion of the story is kind of done about Jesus talking about spiritual blindness. Now he's moving on. He's continuing on the idea that he's telling his disciples, "Hey, I've got to go to the cross and die." He's getting them ready because I don't know how. I mean, he had the disciples for about three three and a half years. Depends on who's t- who's telling you that statistic, but we don't know how exactly how short he has in the story because um, it's not always in chronological order. Some of it is. But sometimes it's not. And so you go, we don't know. But at this point, he's letting them know, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to suffer and die. The son of man has to suffer and die. And every single one of them was like, no, you don't. And so even today's story, it's a very, very strange story. I was tempted to skip it because, but I don't want to skip all the strange stuff of the Bible, right? This one is ridiculous because we've been talking about the last few weeks, how dumb the disciples can be. And we can point fingers at them, but it's always like they say back when I was a kid, if you, the finger that you're pointing, there's three always pointing back, or three and a half. My thumb is kind of going back. And and so I can act pretty dumb and go, uh. And the only reason why some of us, we, we look at the disciples is we have hindsight being 2020. We see the story from how it were after the fact that Jesus died and were raised from the dead. They didn't have that luxury to know that. They made assumptions. And so the question I want to begin with is not a question that you ask yourself often, unless you're a sports. How many of us are a professional sports star, or you you race NASCAR, you wish you did, or you try to on the highway, right? Don't do that. Um, how many of us were, were uh, like Muhammad Ali, right? We... Or, you know, when I was in the hospital for finger surgery, I watched Mike Tyson, like, fighting all night. That's what was on the TV. And I go, I don't want to make that guy mad because he knocked my head off. But he was, to me, he was, uh, in in a boxing sense, he was great to me. I know what Muhammad Ali said. He said, I am the greatest of all time. Whatever. There's a debate for that, but whatever. Um, but the question is, do you want to be great? And you don't even know how to answer that. If I were to say, I want you to say it out loud, the answer to that question, yes or no, do you want to be great? Some of us are like, is that a trick question? Because I don't want to be prideful. Now, I'm not talking about a very specific uh, thing that you're great at. Like, if I think about baseball, 
I think about the greatest baseball player of all time. How many of us have that in your mind, who the greatest baseball player of all time? It could be Ken Griffey Jr., but he got hurt, and it could have been a lot, his potential when he hit that wall back in 97, 90, whatever year it was, 97. It was over. But let's go even, even better than that. Who's the greatest baseball player of all time? Edgar Martinez, right? Anybody there? I love Edgar Martinez. He, he is, you don't hear about him, but he is, he's great. Now, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about Muhammad Ali. I'm not talking about being a great grandparent or great mother or great cousin or you're a great employee or you're a great business person. Uh, I'm not talking about that specifically. I'm talking about great at life. Now that seems kind of weird, right? Again, I've never, I've never preached from this passage of scripture. So you're getting something fresh off the presses. Okay. I say this all the time, but pastors have about 12 sermons on them and they rearrange it a little bit. And you know, instead of Mark, they'll read it from Luke and try to trick you a little bit. But I'm reading something. I go, I'm going on faith that there's going to be a nugget of truth here that you're going to hang on to. And it really is important because we don't know if how to answer this question because we don't want to seem prideful. But I want you to think about, just think about certain things that you're about. What's the, what's the, what's the option? Like, do you want to be great? Like, for example, I, I thought about a few things. Do you want to be a great parent? Eh, mediocrity is pretty good for me. Do, do you want to be good at, fi- do you want to handle your finances great? Nah. Nah, I want to be, I want to spend my money in a horrible way so I have nothing. How many of us like that feeling? You go to the, you go to the, uh, store and you give your debit card and for a moment, the machine doesn't work and you kind of lose, you kind of hold your breath for a second, like, uh-oh, right? Or you look at your bank statement and you owe the bank money. Like, it, like think about the opposite. How about, do you, do you want to be great at prayer and worship and reading the word? Eh, I just want to be a mediocre follower of Christ. See, all of us, I want you to think about the alternative to greatness. That The last one, not in any particular order. Do, do you want to be a great friend to the people around you? I'm actually okay with being a so-so friend to Dwayne here. Like, what does that sound like? We all know that's ridiculous. Like, pastor, I want to be your friend, but I'm only going to give you 50% of my friendship. That's it. So when we look at it like that, we're not talking about pride. Because like everything, the word great has been hijacked by sin. When we think about the word great, we look at the areas of our life that we think, we think that they it matters. Those things that really matter. Like when I think about Edgar Martinez being the greatest baseball, that's that's up for debate. I get it. Like what about Mickey Mantle? What about Babe Ruth? What about Barry Bonds? No, not Barry Bonds. Forget about that guy. He was, he was cheating. But anyway, uh, what about Pete Rose? That kind of thing. Now we can really preach right now. But uh, no, but when I think about Edgar Martinez, like he's he's retired. He can't, he's not going to be able to play anymore. We, I knew he was about to retire because he couldn't run from home to first without, like, he was just like, kind of jogging a little bit. I'm like, he's slowing down. And uh, so at the end of his career, he, he has, I'm assuming that he has to figure out what he wants to be about in his life. And that's like all of us. Like everything that we do with our life, me preaching, me working for, you, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna preach forever. There's no, I don't, I'm not gonna physically be here on earth forever. There's gonna be a moment I'm gonna go, just drop dead. Maybe right here. I have no idea. Hopefully not. But we have to look beyond what we're doing 
And what we're filling our lives with about greatness, we need to look at the inside. We need to look at what God's calling us to. When we talk about greatness, we're talking about what God wants us to be about and what we stand for. And so what I want to do is I want to prove to you from the Bible, according to Mark chapter 9, if you want to go there, is God has created you for significance. God has created you for something to be great. He made you for greatness. He did not create you for mediocrity. He didn't, he didn't create you to be so-so. He didn't create you to be, ah, barely getting across the, I mean, pastor, here I am limping down the, uh, you know, 100 meter dash and I'm limping across. I'll go across the finish line, but I am, I'm barely walking here. No, he's created us to do, to focus on what really matters. And he wants us to cross the finish line with greatness. So, the problem is sin has warped our view of what it means to be great. Jesus takes the word great, which, again, none of us are going, boy, this is a really pressing sermon. We want to talk about, you know, relationship problems. We want to talk about finances. We want to talk about how to, how to deepen our faith, how to, how to have more faith. We want to talk about that. I, I've noticed on YouTube there's specific things I talk about that I'll get more views. Okay, a few weeks, I don't get a lot of views. I'll just be honest. Let's just be blunt. But... Like a few weeks ago, I talked about something. I get almost 300 views. Like that's not a lot in YouTube land, trust me. Okay. But I go, what is it? There's specific topics that will not, that, that people look for. This is not one of them. So I'm like, hey, Lord, do you really, what do you want to talk? The real, the reality is we're, this is why it's important because God created you for significance. If you want to talk about greatness, I'll use another term that's equal to it because greatness is our mind thinks I'm the best at something. Like Pastor Joel's the greatest preacher of all time. No, I'm not. Okay. We all have our style. Someone in college said, Joel, don't try to be another preacher. Just be yourself. And I've never tried to copy anybody else's style. Okay. But it's not even about being the best at something. It's about significance. It's about living my life no matter how long I have. For Jesus Christ, for his glory, I'm going to live my life in service to God and, and glorify God. That's what it's about. Now, Mark chapter 9, verse 30. I'm going to start with uh, verse 30 and 31. It says, leaving that region, they traveled through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know he was there, for he wanted to spend more time with his disciples and to teach them. He's been trying to do that for chapters and chapters and chapters. And everybody always interrupts him. And now he wants to give them the most important sermon to the disciples. He wants to repeat his same message that he's done it twice or three times in the span of a couple chapters. He says this. He said to the disciples, The Son of Man, me, I, am going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. So who's going to be betrayed? Who's he going to be handed over to? His enemies. It's the underlined word. He, Jesus, will be killed but three days later, he will rise from the dead. Not that long before this, he said the same thing, and Peter, Peter scolded him, grabbed him. I can imagine, grabbed him by the, by the shirt or whatever, the robe, and he pulled him aside. He said, you do not speak like that. That is not the Messiah that I signed up for. See, Jesus had to call him Satan. And now, a few things have happened between that, but now he's going, you know what? I need the disciples to just be alone with me. And I need to tell them the most important thing that need, that they need to know. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. So that's an important thing to pause for just a moment because 
We should pause here because this is specifically the second time in a chapter where Jesus talked about his death and resurrection. And this is not the main point of the chapter. But how many of us think when you when you stop at a spot where Jesus is talking about his death and suffering, it's kind of important to think about that a little bit, right? Because without Jesus dying, without Jesus going to the cross and dying for our sin, then he's just a good teacher. He's just a, he's a supernatural healer. He's just a, he raises the dead, which if he raises the dead, that's great. That's a great thing. But those people that raise from the dead, they still have to die again. Okay. So that can't be the most important thing. The most important thing is Jesus knows where he's going. He knows where he's headed. He's headed to the cross. And he's letting them know, there's, you guys have to be ready for my death. Now, I thought about the death of Jesus Christ for just a moment. And this is not new to you, right? But I thought about how much do we take for granted what Jesus really went through. And then I thought about this very specific verse that he says, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed in the hands of the enemies. There is definitely, and this is, this is a quick little Bible study in the middle of my sermon, you know, for just a moment. This is just for you Bible nerds, okay? I'm a Bible nerd, but there is two elements to the death of Jesus Christ. The first element is the human element, okay? They, the, 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 uh, the apostle Judas, he comes up to Jesus. What does he do to Jesus? Kisses him on the cheek, right? So this comes true. Kisses Jesus on the cheek, then they arrest him. So there's a human element to the, death of Jesus. They had to grab him. They made the decision themselves. They didn't even know they were playing into the hands of God what they were doing. They were so mad at who Jesus was. They knew he was, he was, he committed blasphemy. He claimed to be God. He did all this good stuff, but why did they kill him? Because he claimed to be God. That's, you, you can't say that and live. That's blasphemy. But there's also a second part of the death of Jesus that we we uh, we do think about once in a while, but there is this divine element to the death of Jesus. That, In other words, that God for all eternity, which is crazy to think about, even in the book of Genesis, it refers to this, it refers to this person crushing the serpent's head, right? That's a long time before that. But there's this divine element to the death of Jesus that no matter what you do with your life, Guess who's more sovereign than you are? Guess who's more in charge of the universe than you are? God is. So this is a very divine, it's a very, it's a big mystery. How does this work? You have the human people who are doing stupid stuff and they grab, they grab Jesus and they didn't even realize that they were playing into the hands of God that from the beginning, God for all eternity chose to send his son Jesus to earth to die. Now, what does that even matter to us? Because listen, even if we kind of take that idea of God's sovereignty with his death and shrink it down to our personal lives, you and I sometimes are afraid that we're going to mess up the will of God. I know I have. You know, if I don't talk to the right individual just the right way, if I don't know what to say, what Bible verse they need to hear today, what kind of encouragement do they need to, who do I need to talk to? Who, God, give me a specific thing, you know, and we get so scared that we're, maybe you know, I do, that we're going to mess up the will of God. Listen to me. God is sovereign. We make our choices. It's kind of like the, it's kind of like the the, uh, Proverbs. You know, it says casting lots, but I like using dice. We, we roll the dice 
we make the decision to roll the dice, and God's the one that chooses where it's going to land. You know, if, if he wants the number six to land on there, if you're playing Yahtzee, any Yahtzee fans here, you guys good? You can only be good by random chance. But anyway, you know, you roll the dice, and God just lands it exactly. We play a part, yes. But the big part of this picture here is I wanted to pause here for a moment, is that God is sovereign. God is in charge. God knows what he's doing. Trust him. Get along with on his road that he's carving out and say, Lord, I don't quite know where you're going in my life, but I'm going to follow you because I trust you. Because if I can see everything and I'm going down this road, then something's I need to see God. And sometimes he won't let us see the next step. The only thing that we can see is God in front of us. He's, he's taken that step and we need to follow him. I wanted to pause there because oftentimes when it comes to the death of Jesus or even life, we're, we think that we're so, our, our decisions are so powerful that we're going to mess up God. The fact is, this world, at the end of time, I don't want to look like a guy with a tinfoil hat on because I've been known to be, someone people told me that, but the, the end's coming. And I could say that because, because you know, it, it could happen tomorrow, but it could happen in 10,000 years. I could say that because, God, you know, God said, hey, be back soon. And it's been 2,000 years, okay? So if time, if, if this world's ending, there's going to be countries, there's going to be war, there's going to be people who are going to do ridiculously stupid stuff. And it's easy to go, oh, we need to stop that. The reality is God knows exactly what's going on. This world is crazy. And he goes, yep, pretty ridiculous, right? And so I love the fact that Jesus died for us because Jesus died for us. He, They took him, arrested him, they nailed him to the cross. But in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he what? Gave. They can pretend that they were in charge of it. Look at what we've done. Satan smiled and went, yes, killing the son of God. Great. But God goes, "Uh uh-uh, you didn't take that. You didn't take him. You didn't really arrest him. I gave, right? I love that. I love that because that is radical, true love. Listen to me. While we're still sinners, while we're actually the enemy of God, the very people that he was betrayed into, he died for those enemies. Did you know that? The very guy who nailed him to the cross. Try and think of that movie that's about that soldier. I can't, anyway. The what? The robe. I mean, it's about this guy. I mean, he's nailing and he realizes what part he played in this whole thing. Like, even the guy who nailed him to the cross, Jesus came and died for him. That's radical. Now, okay, so Jesus says, hey, guess what? I gotta die. And none of us really blinked really like, Jesus, what are you talking about? We know that. Duh. But again, this brings back the last three weeks. They are still spiritually blinded. Like, uh, I mean, until Jesus raises from the dead, I really don't know if they really get it. Because they said, they, the disciples, they didn't understand what he was saying. However, and they were afraid to ask him what he meant. Because remember what happened last time Peter talked to Jesus about that. He was called Satan. So like, shh, shh, don't ask him. Just let's keep it our little secret. Okay, after they arrived at Capernaum and they settled into a house, Jesus asked his disciples, 
what were you discussing on, on the road? Pause. How many of us think that Jesus knew the answer to that? It's proven because he already, he talks about it just in a second, right? Exactly what they were talking about. What were you discussing out on the road? Because oftentimes Jesus, if you notice in the gospels, he played dumb. What were you talking about on the road? This happened a few times, even that specific phrase. What were you talking about on the road? And what happened? But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. Are you kidding me? Like, really? There, there's nothing more important, and we know that now because we're, we live on this side of Jesus' death and resurrection. But Jesus talks about his death, his suffering, his resurrection, and they're going, I'm kind of confused. Hey, hey, which one of us is the greatest of all of them? It's not saying who's great. It's the greatest. Like, we're all great, right? It's like looking at the rest of us. We all know we're great, right? But which one of us is the greatest? Which one of us is just slightly greater than the rest of them? You know, that's what they're arguing about. Are you kidding me? But they're afraid. It kind of reminds me when I was a kid. I would do something stupid, or maybe I would do something wrong, or I'd do something wrong and stupid at the same time. And my mom and dad found out, because oftentimes they found out without me knowing. And they say, what do you have to say for yourself? And I would blink really fast, like, you know, and I'd be like, uh... Uh, and I couldn't really talk. I, I'd sit there in silence, and then I'd shuffle off to my room, like backpedal to my room, like close the door, and then my dad comes in there slowly, like, and I'm shaking in my, you know, socks or whatever. It kind of reminds me of that because I they, they say, hey, what do you have to say for yourself? I don't want to say because I know I'm going to get in trouble, right? And that's exactly what happens here. Jesus is just talking about his death, and that's a worthy topic to talk about if there ever was one. But they're worried about who's the greatest disciple. And another way of saying that is who's going to be known as, who's going to be remembered. Now, the good thing is we remember them. There's a few of them that kind of get hidden. We don't really know a lot about them. Nathaniel, right? We, I mean, some of us, I could preach about Nathaniel. Well, I would like to hear it, right? There's a few that, you know, but there's a few uh, verses of people, but, but Peter, he wants to be known as great. Guaranteed, John wants to be great because he's the closest disciple. But here's the thing. Sin has corrupted the very meaning of greatness. It's all about ourselves. It's all about making a name for ourselves. It's all about pointing. And, and I wait, I wait for Alice just to tell me how great I am. I'm going to stand up here for a long time. And can you just tell me I'm great? Can you pat me on the shoulder? Can you just, can you look at my sermon and go, we need to take this. We need to publish it. People are going to remember this. There's who, who, you know, Billy Graham, who cares? He's got his whole, whole XM radio by himself. We're going to have the Joel Bremer radio on satellite radio because you're so great. No, that's not what greatness is. But the problem is, here's where we go wrong about greatness. Because we compare ourselves to other people. And here's the reason why. Sometimes we want to feel better about our lives. There are people, there are times I walk down the road, and I, or I, I'm driving to work, and I'm doing stuff, and it's easy to go, wow, I'm, I, my life could be that bad. My life could be, I'm glad my kids don't act like that. I'm glad, kids, I have one kid. I, I, I I'm glad my marriage is this way. I'm glad that, that my finances are this way. I could be easily be very much prideful and going, wow. Or if I compare myself to other people and they're doing better than me. 
their finances are greater. Their relationships are greater. Their, their, their business, they're savvy in their business choices. They're, they're great. They're, you know, every, everything's just working out just perfectly. By the way, that's a lie. No, no one is going through life perfectly. That's, that's actually a lie. You can look on Facebook and everybody seems happy. I say this all the time. You cut out the bad part of the picture on Facebook. You change it. Even a blemish on my face, I could change it to make me look handsome, right? You could take a picture and I change that. And it's like, it's like the handsome filter. You know what happens when I do that? Nothing changes, right? Right? What? She's embarrassed. Anyway, that's fine. But we compare ourselves to others. We either go up to people and we go, ah, I'm doing so great. Or we look at someone and go, now I'm depressed. I've done that. Pastors do it all the time. Pastors are really good storytellers. Pastors, we go, man, did you, did you know what happened? Man, I was talking with someone and all I said was hello and the people were falling on their knees wondering what, how to be saved. And I'm going, wow, that is, that's amazing. You definitely have the anointing on you, but you know, I, I'm silly, I'm being silly, but it's, it's a fact. We all compare ourselves and we either feel great in the, in, in our eyes or we feel miserable and depressed. Either way, you don't win. You never win by comparison. The next one that where we get wrong with greatness because we want people that we don't want, want only to be great in things. We want people to tell us we're great. Okay. Like with a constant need to be proved by other people is a very dangerous place to be. I've had to step away from this idea and go, if I'm waiting to be approved by people, there's a lot of times I'm going to be waiting. Like even when it comes to Pepsi, as simple as Pepsi is like, don't you just take a 12 pack and put it on the shelf? Basically. But I'm waiting for my five bosses to go up to me and say, man, Joel, you are great. Your organization skills is great. That doesn't happen. You know, oh, man, you you rotate just perfectly. That dates, you, you never, go, nothing goes out of date, right? Doesn't happen. Once in a blue moon. Been a while since there was a blue moon. But, you know, it, it, if I'm waiting for, it, this is this is a miserable place to live. Because I say it all the time in my life. I say, Joel. I, and I've heard it somewhere, I don't know where it came from, but you live for the audience of one. You live for the audience of one. What that means is that you are living to please God. Obviously, like, okay, I, I want my wife to be happy. I want my kid to be happy. I want you to be happy. I want my company to be happy. I want my bank to be happy. I want my people who, who I owe money to with my bills. I want them to be happy. But you know what? I can make them happy. But if God's not happy, what's the point? If God looks at me and he goes, well done, good and faithful servant. That's, that's honestly, and I don't say this lightly, that's really all I want to hear. But my human part of me, of course. I'm talking about, you talk, you're looking at someone when I was in school and I tried out for sports, except for the ones that you already make. I got cut from a lot of sports, so I, I, I dealt with a self-esteem problem. Like, everybody I knew had a sport they were good at. Baseball, I had a good friend, baseball. 
And if you've ever seen the movie The Sandlot, if you haven't, you've missed out a good funny movie, but I was the main kid. Not as bad. I could throw a ball, but you do a pop-up, and you're like, got it. And then the ball's like, like, oh, my glove had a hole in it, I promise. But I would walk around horrible. So I had a constant need in a lot of areas to be approved by people. But somewhere along the line, I said, you know what? As long as God is pleased, that's what it's about. What is greatness? It's not having people pat me on the head, go, good job, Pastor Joel. You are wonderful. It's not about my wife patting me on the head. You, good job. You, you are a good husband. You're a good, here, have a, have a cookie. You're doing really good, right? That's not what it's about. Even though cookie would be great or donut or something like that or ice cream would be wonderful. But that is, we don't need to be approved by others. See, the problem with the disciples, they wanted people to tell them, hey, tell me I'm great. But you know, Jesus warned against that. He warned us of doing acts of service, prayer, fasting, worship, giving in order to be seen by others. It kind of reminds me of like probably 15 years ago. I was right here and someone came up and I've said this before, but they gave me a check to put in the offering. The offering was coming. And I said, oh, okay, thank you. And they, they wanted to be seen. <laughs> if you want to be seen, you can wave your check and go like that and go and drop it in, but they ran up. Here's my offering. And I'm like, I'm assuming, I don't know what that was. Like maybe they didn't know. I don't know. But it kind of reminds me of the time, like every time I do something good for someone else, like if I'm, let's say I mow the lawn to someone and I don't even charge. I just kind of mow the lawn and then and then I kind of like hide so I'm in secret. But then I go to the store and guess what I want to do? I'm tempted to tell somebody I did it. Hey, I'm really tired. I just mowed someone's grass for free and it was like that long. I just... Oh, and then all of a sudden my, my, there's, there's my reward. Everybody's like, good job, Pastor Joel. You did wonderful. But God, he tells us to do those things in secret. So I got a mathematical equation for you guys, math, math people. Okay. If you want to get the worldly greatness, there's two things you have to do. Okay. Remember, Jesus said, don't, don't, don't even go, the, go here. But here it is. The worldly greatness thing is superiority over other people. I'm great, I'm greater, plus the acclaim from other people. Good job. I want people to tell me how great I really am. That will always lead to worldly greatness. If I, if I feel better about myself than Dwayne, and I, and then I go to someone else, and Sheree goes, Pastor Joel, you did so great. Here you go. That will always, I'll be very prideful. I'll go, wow, I'm such a good pastor. Maybe I should read, write a book. And people need to know, how am I so great? I want to put my face on the cover. I want to put my face on the inside of the cover, too. I want to make my website, Joel Bremer JoelBremerMinistriesUniversal.com. I want to do all of it. But that's not what Jesus said to do. We do that in businesses. We do that in sports. We see who has the better house, who has better stuff. We even do that in the church. Which one's the greater church? Pause. You don't need to answer this. But what makes the church great? I could preach on that. We'll go on beyond that. But what makes the church great? What makes the church great? I've seen a lot of great churches. I've been to a lot of impressive buildings. Like, ooh. I went to a men's conference in Dallas one time. Alice sent me there. It was great, by the way. I'll never forget it. The building was, it was a great, it was a great conference. It was. But I walk in there. 
my brother lives close, so he went with me. And uh, I walk in, I'm like, wow. But then we went to Renton, the church in Renton, and they had just built the building. And then we go into the bathroom, and there's this dryer. I'm not kidding you. Like, it's one of those powerful air jet dryers. I mean, it's like, and it's like, I mean, it's, it's an awesome dryer. And all of us were at that, whatever it was we were at, we were just staring at the air dryer. We were impressed by this bathroom air dryer. I'm not kidding you because it really legitimately dried your hands quick. And it was like, it, it kind of had a little massage to your hand. You know, I want to put my foot in there, like to the bottom of my feet, but, but the, you know, we, I'm being silly, but the truth is we can always, we can always have, even in the church, we want to be better than everything else. What does it mean to be great? Well, according to Jesus, look at verse 35. Jesus sat down. He called his 12 disciples over to him. I can see him going. <laughs> but he said, whoever wants to be first, or the word is actually great, whoever wants to be great must take last place, and he must be the what? Servant of everyone else. So if you want to be great, here's the easy, quick, two-second answer. Servant. Oh, man, I'm really bummed out. That's not what I wanted you to say, Joel. Don't blame me. Blame Jesus. And then he put a little child among them. So in the next chapter, he's going to, he's going to do the same thing again to prove his point. He puts a little child among them, and taking the child in his arms, he said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but my Father who sent me. So I want to point out something here. that Jesus never... He never, I added the, the tsk, 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 you know, I added that. Jesus never scolded them for being, wanting to be great because their, their greatness, their idea of what it meant to be great was just misplaced. Like he needed to correct them. He needed to, he needed to shine the light to the truth. And, and I love that because Jesus is so loving when he corrects us, when he sees a teaching moment, he's going to do it in a loving way. Sometimes we're wrong. Sometimes we're, we're, we're looking at the wrong spot. And Jesus goes, no, 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 this is what it's about. If you want to be great, disciples, if you want to be great, church, if you want to be a great church, then we've got to be the servant of all people. And the reason why he chose a child, and you'll see later in just a moment, it's not, we're not going to read it today, but they were like, get this kid away from my presence. I don't like this. And Jesus is like, what are you doing? Did you just forget that we just had a child in our presence and what I just said? But children, even though they had many children, a lot of people, they couldn't just have, they had like, you know, well, I've got 50 children, you know, that kind of thing. But they were, incon they were, they were inconveniences. They were insignificant. They were low men in the society. They didn't really contribute to anything. So oftentimes they were, they were seen as someone who couldn't really pay back. All they were, they just, gimme, give gimme, give gimme, give gimme, gimme. Where's my Christmas present? Gimme. Gimme, gimme, gimme. And so why he brought a child right in front of him, he goes, you know what? If you want to be great, you need to serve, you need to love, you need to help, you need to, uh, be about the people who are in society insignificant. They can't pay you back. Those little kids, at that moment, they can't really pay you back. They're just, and that's what they they assumed about kids. All they do is just, 
they just, they're just, gimme, 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 gimme. They don't contribute. They, they just take. Gimme. And so Jesus had that illustration that you and I, we, if you want to be great, you serve the people who cannot pay you back. And that's hard to do. Because we kind of want the acclaim. We want someone to be able to, you know, if I'm, it's kind of like, I did this wedding yesterday and I, and I had, I went up to the, it was in a barn. There was some bird stuff on the barn. See, I'm already, I'm already getting rid of my blessing here. But anyway, I'm sweeping it and I look up and someone's taking a picture. And the first thing I think, good, someone's going to be reminded that I was doing some work around here, right? <laughs> and I go, wait a minute. Can I just delete that? They didn't delete it. That's fine. I'll never see that picture again. But like that, to me, defines human greatness. If I'm sweeping, I want someone to take a picture of me. And I was kind of looking on Facebook. If someone put it on Facebook, they did not. Good thing. But that's, to me, his human greatness. Heavenly greatness, godly greatness, is I'm able to grab a broom and clean up bird stuff on the stage without anyone knowing and without saying it, without preaching about it. I already lost the, the blessing because they took a picture of it. But that's exactly what Jesus is saying. If you want to be great, you've got to be the servant of everyone else. And you mix that with his teaching about doing it in secret. Doing it in secret. That is greatness in Jesus' eyes. Now, we're almost done, but the last equation is how to get the godly greatness. Oh, forgot about that. Jesus wants to redefine our quest for greatness. The thing is, lowly service on earth, I called it lowly service because we always think there's things beneath us. I'm talking about service that there is, there is nothing service-wise that's between us, that's below us. I'll do whatever God has asked me to do. I don't care how, I don't care how, how much education I got. I don't care how smart I am. I don't care how spiritual I am. I don't care how godly I am. I don't care how much I pray. I don't care how much, if I'm on the worship team, nothing is below me. I'm going to serve lowly service to, on earth. Plus, I'm not doing it for my own glory. I'm giving glory to God in heaven. That, according to Jesus, is true greatness. Now, this sermon, which won't get the views, which is fine. I don't get paid for YouTube, by the way. It's fine. I don't care. Who cares? You know, even that, I'm thinking, great. I want to have the million views, so that would be great. You know, I can quit my job and all that kind of stuff. But this topic won't give the clicks. Why even mention it? With all the things in the world, what, why even? Because Jesus has called you to greatness, and Jesus has called you to significance. What does it mean to be significant? It, what does it mean to be great? It means that you're putting other people before you. And that's not so glamorous. This sermon's not glamorous. This sermon's not like, oh, I'm taking that sermon. I'm sharing this sermon with everybody on Facebook. It won't happen. The reality is, this is not a pressing need. But the reality is, in God's eyes, in God's kingdom, He has designed you to, to be great. He's designed you for significance. He's, He's designed you to serve the people around you with greatness. What does that mean? You put them first. 
You, you, nothing's below you. Nothing is beneath you. Sometimes it means getting your hands dirty. Sometimes it means you're inconveniencing your Saturdays. Sometimes it means that you're, you're, you're tired. You're like, oh, this has been a long week. Oh, you need help. Oh, here we go. And I don't, sometimes I respond poorly. How many of us have ever been, they asked for volunteers and then you're like, Ugh. or how many of us are like, yahoo, yeah, let's go. Right? No, none, nothing, never. Oh, Saturday? Oh, okay. Uh, Oh, Friday night? Oh, okay. Um, yeah, okay. Hey, guess what we get to do? No, but in God's eyes, that's greatness. And while it doesn't seem that important, but I can't pretend to just avoid that scripture, God views this as important. So we need to as well. That how do we, how are we great? Got to be the servant of all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to, we seek greatness. We, we do seek significance, but God, help us to seek it in the right way. And I, I, I know I've said it, it, this doesn't seem important. It doesn't, it, there's so much going on in the world that this seems like way in, in, on page 100 of a book that, you know, I'm on page one. It's, it, it doesn't seem pressing, but God, if we're living in the last days, then we don't have time to waste. We don't have time to just go around life and just kind of taking it easy. No, no, no. We need to serve the people around us. Every single day, help all of us, each one of us, to look around us for the needs around us and to serve the people around us that cannot pay us back. And they will never give us the glory. They'll never give us the credit. They'll never say thank you. But, but God, you will. You'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's the goal. We, we cannot wait to hear the, that message. It's not even about us. It's about turning it and glorifying and magnifying the name of Jesus. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Don't forget to go on YouTube and get a few clicks. Give a few, get a, I'm kidding. That was a joke.